This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 12, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. A great idea in theory that falls apart in practice. That's Cato Institute Senior Fellow Michael Tanner's take on the guaranteed national income, a base level of income for every American that might serve as a replacement for the current welfare state. Tanner's new paper evaluating the idea was released today. Well, I think we'd all agree that the ideal situation would be for poverty to be handled through private charity or failing that, at least at the state and local level rather than the national government getting involved. But that's not the world we live in. The fact is we spend about $688 billion at the federal level, another $300 billion at the state level. We have over 120 anti-poverty programs that are not working. So maybe the question should be, is there a better way? And maybe instead of all these different programs spending all this amount of money and not getting any results, maybe it's better to just move to something like a flat guaranteed national income. It has a certain elegance to it. Uh, The people who promote it say our current welfare system, the way it's devised, compels people to spend hours, sometimes tens of hours a week in order to get the benefits that they've – that they're entitled to, and uh, it, it, it does tax people in order to qualify and continue to remain qualified. But the current welfare system is sort of the worst of all possible worlds, and a guaranteed national income offers a theoretical alternative that seems much better in many ways. It would be far simpler, far more transparent. We'd know how much we're spending on each individual uh, rather than have it scattered across all these different programs that are impossible to track. It would treat people like adults. Right now, we sort of treat poor people like uh, three-year-olds, and we're giving them their allowance. They get a little bit of money for housing. They get a little bit of money for food, some more money for medical care. We should give them money and expect that they can budget like everyone else and treat them just like uh, just like normal adults. And finally, we'd, we'd break up the concentrations of poverty. Right now, poor people cluster together in certain areas because that's where the businesses that will take those type of benefits live. That's where landlords will take Section 8 vouching uh, housing vouchers or doctors will take Medicaid or food stamps in the, in the grocery stores and so on. Uh, that concentration of poverty reinforces all the bad problems, that, all the social problems that go with poverty, crime and homelessness or single parenthood and so on. Uh, so the theoretical case for guaranteed national income as an alternative is fairly strong. So failing uh private charity or, uh, you know, voluntary giving. Uh, Most libertarians, I think, agree that just give them cash, people who are in dire straits, victims of brute luck, or people who are chronically uh, low income, just give them cash. But that is not, that's not really even on the table. Well, that, I mean, the problem is that it's simply unaffordable. The, the simplest and most transparent way to do this would simply to be give everybody in America a cash grant of $10,000, $12,000 per man, woman, and child. But that would be unaffordable. Uh, it would cost far more than we're spending, not just on poverty, but for our whole budget uh, right now. So clearly, you're going to have to have some way to limit it. And as soon as you begin to try to do that, you begin to lose many of the good things about a guaranteed national income. For example, if you try to limit it to just low-income individuals who receive it, some sort of negative income tax, the way Milton Friedman talked about, or Charles Murray. The problem is that you begin to create disincentives for work. If people begin to earn more money uh, on their own, they lose some of this benefit. You have a high marginal tax rate that discourages work. Uh, You also lose some of the transparency. You're in the tax code worrying about what is income, what is assets, and so on. So you begin to lose that. Well, some people say then if you're going to have a disincentive for work, we have to link it to work like the earned income tax credit. But of course, the earned income tax credit 
only works for people who can work? What are you going to do for people who are disabled or can't find a job and so on? Are you going to create a separate parallel welfare system for them and then have two welfare systems in place? Uh, plus all the complexity and the fraud and the abuse that goes on with the earned income tax credit would certainly be multiplied. As a practical matter, there doesn't seem to be a way to implement a guaranteed national income that's not going to create more problems than it solves. And again, you're, you're talking about this as a, a, a theoretical idea that, quite frankly, is probably superior to our current welfare system in theory. But once you start trying to build it up, as, as you note, you have to start giving up transparency and you have to make all these determinations that uh, bureaucracies aren't necessarily going to be very good at uh, making determinations about. And we should have learned from the failure of good intentions with our welfare programs today. Uh, one of the reasons we're in the mess we are right now is that people thought things looked good on paper, tried to develop these programs, and then they failed. We shouldn't be rushing into an alternative that could create even more problems. Now, that doesn't mean we can't take baby steps along the way. There are some proposals out there that would move in the right direction, consolidate the hundred and some odd government programs we have today down to a single program or just a handful of programs, moving away from the in-kind benefits that we have to cash benefits, giving people cash and expecting them to take care of themselves. There are suggestions that are out there to do those sorts of things. Marco Rubio has a plan. Paul Ryan has a less better, not as good a plan, but one that moves in that direction. Uh, those are the type of things we can do to sort of test this theory out and see where it leads. So what, what are the steps that would begin to take the federal government out of the business of engaging in uh, welfare payments? We all, I mean, arguably, this is the kind of thing that changes from state to state. Different states have different needs. Wealthier states and poorer states might deal with the, these things differently, urban versus rural. Uh, what are some steps that uh, the feds might take to step down and uh, maybe encourage states to get relatively more involved? Well, the federal government should get out of actually running welfare programs. That should be the province of the state government. If the federal government is going to continue funding the programs, spending the money it is today, that money should go to states, block granted essentially, give it to the states, and then let them experiment, be the laboratories of democracy. As I say, there are some proposals out there. Marco Rubio has one, a smaller one by Paul Ryan, that would move in that direction. Uh, you would certainly break up the constituencies that exist for today's welfare programs, the farmers that support food stamps, the, the landlords that want housing vouchers, the doctors that support Medicaid spending. You'd break all that up, uh, and, and then you'd have the states free to try some new things. And even if uh, we could all agree that it would be superior just to give low-income people cash than uh, this, these myriad uh, welfare programs, that doesn't necessarily mean that the bureaucrats charged with enforcing them uh, that would be out of a job, they're probably not going to support just giving giving people cash either. Well, no, that's certainly right. There's a whole industry that's grown up around managing the poor, uh, and both left and right seem to support this. The, the left, of course, has always believed in sort of this parental role for the state. But increasingly, the right is beginning to try to make these punitive measures, whether it's drug testing to receive benefits or, or even worse, proposals now out of Missouri and Kansas that says that people on welfare can't buy seafood uh, with food stamps or that uh, it's illegal to go to a fortune teller if you're on TANF. I mean, th these sorts of things are just designed to sort of punish the poor. Uh, that's the wrong direction. What evidence exists about how low-income people spend the benefits that they do receive? 
Well, there's only a handful of studies done in the United States, uh, but what they do show is that when you give people cash, that they manage it pretty much the way everyone else does. They don't blow it on cigarettes and booze or strippers or whatever it is that people are worried about. That they tend to spend the money pretty much exactly the same way as people who earn their money does. There's also a number of studies from overseas that look at it, this in other countries, Latin America, Europe, uh, that also suggests that people pretty much are able to take care of themselves if, if they have that responsibility, if they know that this money is what they have to live on, uh, they live on it. So bottom line here, this is a good idea in theory that in practice is very, very difficult to implement. That's, that's exactly right. It, it's a wonderful theory, but the implementation, uh, the devil's going to be really be in the details of this. Uh, rather than to rush into something that may create more problems than it solves, we should be very careful, give the states a chance to experiment with this. Uh, certainly should be an idea that's on the table, shouldn't be dismissed out of hand, but let's not rush into it. Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read his new paper on guaranteed national income at our website, cato.org.